Welcome to the Raising Athletes podcast. We are so excited to be here today with the head coach of NYU Volleyball. And we're going to talk about all things college recruiting, playing D3, high-level, high-academic volleyball, and what's that about. So thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. So exciting. Okay, so um, let's start off with, just to give everybody a little bit of background, you and I met a couple months ago. I'm a coach at Sunshine, and you came in to run a clinic, and Mm -hmm. I haven't played volleyball in 20 years. Um, So it was fun to watch a college coach run a clinic, and I was just so impressed by the reps that you put everybody through, the intensity, the pace. Um, can you talk a little bit about your background and your philosophy and how you, you know, how you got to where you are? Sure. Uh, so I guess going back to college, I played Division Three at Ramapo College in New Jersey. Um, pretty strong state school, both um, from an academics and athletic perspective. I was very late when it comes to my recruiting process. So I think I had a very unorthodox approach. I was a soccer player for 12 years and switched to volleyball during high school when we had an after-school program. And then we petitioned to our Board of Education and got it to be approved as a varsity sport my junior year as a um, co-founder of the team and of the club. Um, And then from there, my senior year, our seasons are in the spring uh, in New Jersey, And uh, my college coach came to a match and um, basically just asked our coach afterwards if if there was anything on, I guess, me as a player uh, that he thought would transition well into the college game. And I've kind of always been a a student. I feel like uh, from a physical standpoint, even though I am somewhat tall at 6'2", just it's kind of becoming the, the new short in men's volleyball. So I had to rely a lot on my understanding of the game and how I could make an impact based off of just learning different styles and and being very in tune with um, like technique and and just uh, being creative with how to score points and things like that. So I was very fortunate, uh, basically senior year to get recruited to play. And uh, unfortunately, in my college career, I did get hurt, but that gave me an opportunity to kind of dive into coaching. So uh, during my sophomore and junior year in school, I was helping out with my former high school, both girls and boys varsity programs as like a volunteer slash assistant coach. I had an opportunity to coach club at Diggs, which is like a pretty strong uh, club in North, uh, northern New Jersey uh, with like a 15 threes team. Um, and, you know, kind of just grew through each year. By the time I got back to my senior year, I was playing again on our men's team and was very fortunate to be a starter. I was, uh, coaching the girls varsity volleyball team as a head coach and a college, uh, student. And I was assisting with, um, our boys varsity and that club team during the winter and also playing on my college (laughs) team. So uh, I was pretty extended. Uh, I luckily was commuting my senior year. So I was able to go from um, the high school practice at 2.30, 3 o'clock until 5. I got to my college for practice from 6 to 8. And I was a little bit late to club practice from 8 to 10 p.m. Um, uh, or sometimes it would just flip. But basically, I was class in the morning, volleyball throughout the rest of the day. And I think it just gave me like a really interesting perspective on how 
volleyball could be a tool of development. And I think it became something I was very passionate about. So when I wrapped up college, I got my degree in communication arts, focusing on digital filmmaking and not really excited to become an editor in a dark room for the next like two to five years. (laughs) So um, I got a a phone call about a possible opportunity to coach division one. There was a team in Jersey city that had really been struggling and uh, hadn't uh, been able to lock down a coach for their upcoming fall season. This is like August, August 1st, and their kids were coming back on like the 6th. And I got um, a a recommendation and then I went on campus and I interviewed and and went through that process and basically got hired the day before the team traveled for their first uh, tournament of the year. Um, This school happened to be St. Peter's University, the school that went viral this past March for uh, their historical run in the NCAA. The Peacocks, yes, that's where I started my coaching career as the youngest Division I head coach at the age of 24. And um, yeah, I mean, everything about that school is exactly what America got got to see. You know, it's a school that didn't have the resources, didn't have the programming that other um, you know, power five conferences or upper mid majors get, and yet they can still find a way to develop and use sport, sport for good. Right. And I think that's what really kind of jump started my career was, you know, you can always focus on the things you don't have, but you're not going to get anywhere in life. And you got to be creative with finding what works and just locking into the things you can do. So for me, I, um, you know, fell back on my division three experience of it being very balanced. And I motivated my players that the classroom was somewhere they could be where the odds were not stacked against them, where what they put in is what they could get out versus volleyball. Every day was going to be a struggle. We were competing against teams with more players, with better resources, and it's never going to be fair. It's never going to be a fair matchup. So academics became their space that they got rewarded for their, their work and their effort time and time again. Um, and volleyball was somewhere where we could kind of begin to climb and get better um, over the course of years in terms of um, systems, having uh, a style and attracting, you know, more and more talent each year. So by the end of my three years at St. Peter's, Uh, We were winning. We won like back-to-back conference games, which had never happened in program history. Um, Our team was a top 10% for all of division one academically. And um, it just really showed that like the power of sport can really bring people together and um, just be a way of being able to, to get better at mastering life skills. And then that better preparing my student athletes for their future ahead. Like everyone that's gone through St. Peter's that I got to interact with understands how to grind, understands uh, how to capitalize on what your resources you have and make the most of it. So I think like those students, I never worry about, like they're crushing life because college was such a challenge, you know, living independently in a city that isn't, you know, the the a, a diamond in terms of location mm-hmm. just shows that you can, um, you can get better at, at life challenges through, through legitimate struggles. So um, I was there for three years and then I got an opportunity to uh, coach at union college. The crazy thing while I was at St. Peter's, it was kind of like when I was in college, I was coaching 
St. Peter's uh, Division One part time. I was coaching the club team. I was coaching my boys' varsity high school team, and I was helping out at Ramapo as an assistant for the men's college team. Wow. So again, I was still doing the four the four things at once and just bouncing around everywhere via car. Union became my first opportunity that I could focus on one team. So I was no longer having to give like eighty percent to all these different. Um, entities, I was now giving 100% to one school. And that was really exciting for me because it was a full time coaching job that I could really invest in my like 15 to 18 players and like, just be all in on union. Um, And it was great. I had a team that was trending well, that just kind of needed a little bit more of a push offensively. And um was a, was a terrific experience for three years. I got to really learn more about culture and how important that piece of Division Three volleyball is. The The coach before me did a really good job at establishing core values and, and, and how she was prioritizing the team and academics that it really kind of opened my eyes because I think before then, I was so focused on just volleyball from a technical standpoint. How do we get better? How do we put ourselves in situations to be successful and to win? Whereas there, I was more developing, how do we become better people? How do we become better connected? And how do we make this more of a cooperative, inclusive experience? Right. Um, and I think that that three years really shaped me from more of building a team, building a culture perspectives. And then uh, in 2018, I had the opportunity to interview here at NYU. And I always felt going into it that it was a little bit too premature. Like, I feel like I had one more stop before I could get to uh, a conference like the UAA in terms of division three, just being at more of like a a pinnacle location in terms of academic prestigiousness, but also the level of athletic um, resources and, and um, commitment. But I remember going into that, that interview process, just being, super passionate about what I felt that school could be. Um, historically, they had kind of ups and downs for the you know previous seven years. And I felt like we just weren't showcasing or talking about NYU and volleyball combined. Mm. And I felt like if we came in and gave them um, an ability f- to facilitate volleyball around their academics and create a brand identity of NYU volleyball, once we go out and start telling people about it, everyone would be all in and wanting to take part and be a part of something so special like that. So, um, yeah, I think I promised them something in the interview. And then I realized (laughs) uh, in this, in this past season that I, I guess we kind of delivered on the promises. I think at the time they thought I was crazy saying that we could win a a UAA title in a three to four year um, uh, timeline. But again, this, this school is so powerful when it comes to its name recognition that if we could just get the the balance right from making the priorities being academics while also not sacrificing your sport, I knew that we could um, we could make those physical changes. So it's been really exciting for me. I'm back close to home. I'm, I'm you know from New Jersey originally, and now living you know in uh, in Manhattan has been something that, like always like a dream. So like, I now understand how everyone's like, Oh, it's a dream school. It's definitely a dream job. And I, I just love going to work and it being, you know, every day being different and getting to work with these amazing, you know, talented volleyball players that are going to go off and do so many good things, uh, after their four year careers here. 
Amazing. And I love so much about your story because your story represents so much of what Susie and I talk about on this podcast, which is one, you were late to the sport. So you didn't start playing mm-hmm. until you were in high school, which so many of the questions we get now from parents is, but what if, what if I haven't played, started playing? He's already 10 and he hasn't started playing. Is he ever going to make it right? And two, that you had an injury. That's another big thing that kids are going <laughs> yes. through now. And then when they get injured, they're like, you know, how, how is this going to play out? And the fact that you took that injury and you made something positive out of it. I mean, sounds like that's basically how you got into coaching was for not that injury. I mean, potentially you could have found it another way, but that became a huge gift that you got injured, right? A hundred percent. And I think that's why whenever I see a player that's struggling because of an injury, I do always try to tell them that it's an opportunity and that if taken seriously, you will always come back even stronger than you were beforehand, whether it's pivoting and and finding, like in my case, a a different career path than what I thought I was going to be doing, or just having the the mental toughness and, and just taking in perspective that like every day is a new opportunity that I can actually physically get better and make a difference. Um, And then that just using sport can translate into life in general. So um, yeah, me and my assistants, we are, We've had our battle wounds and our battle scars from from our playing days, um, but it also translates into like how we recruit. Like I would never write a write a, a student athlete off after like an ACL. I know schools do that. I know there's other factors when you look at Division One and Division Two, and you need immediate impact. And sometimes the the recovery timeline isn't ideal for those situations. But for me, I think some of my my best players have been players that have come back from you know, major, major injuries in the sport, which is part of playing a sport in general. So I think my conversations with those players and and families, when those types of injuries occur, it always kind of shocks them. They're like, wait, you're not mad. You're not retracting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think it just gives them a sense of relief too, that really keeps them motivated on their, you know, their challenging recovery. Um, But to know that, 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 goal of like passion and your love for the sport is not going to be taken away, I think just gives them that, that motivation and excitement to, to get back to it. Yeah. And I want to go much deeper on about recruiting <laughs> and what you're looking for. But yeah, the third point around pivoting, which was, and I had this same thing happen in my career. I was a Japanese major, went to Japan for a little while and was like, I am six feet tall and blonde. I do not want to live in Japan. <laughs> and so I ended up doing obviously something entirely different. And the fact that you had that epiphany, like, this is something I enjoy, but this isn't going to be the end all be all for me. I think that's just a great message also for our kids to hear, because I feel like so much pressure on them to, well, what do you want to major in? What do you want to do? Well, this is going to be the rest of your life and you have to have it all figured out. And no, you don't. I mean, yes, it's great if you have a general direction of thinking of what you might want to do and start there, but you don't have, you don't have to have the end of the story written yet. Right. Exactly. And I think going back to your point about, you know, if you don't start by 10 and 12, like, am I behind the eight ball? You know, I'm a big believer that, um, you know, when you start a sport that you're so uh, specialized in from such a young age, like burnout is something that's going to be, you know, inedible. Like You're going to hit it at some point. And for me, that kind of happened with soccer. So when I had that um, opportunity to explore volleyball and it became something that I was really excited about, you know, probably because I didn't like running and soccer was all running, (laughs) but like, yes, I was late, but then I did fully dive into it. Like I remember being in high school, going to like the local YMCA and, 
you know, we'd be there with friends, we'd go work out. And then at night they had like open adult gym volleyball. And like, yes, I couldn't play in it because I wasn't an adult, but I like, I watched for like 30 minutes before going home at the end of the day. And then like from watching became peppering in between games with somebody that was there playing in the adult league. And then from there it became like, oh, you're not pretty, you're not bad at this. You should just jump in. You know, we don't have enough people at the beginning of the, of the night. So I do think I did take advantage of unorthodox opportunities. So it's never too late. But then if you find a passion, like I would say, go after it and be creative with those, with those opportunities. I think those people also shaped how I kind of got involved in the sport after being a soccer player and, and dedicating so much time for those, for those formative years as a, as a youth. And I would argue that your soccer, which made you very laterally, you know, agile, that's what made you a better volleyball player, right? Exactly, exactly. Being a multi-sport athlete is one of the best keys to success. So, and whether it's a, uh, you know, a a competitive sport or not, I mean, even ballet or, you know, rock Mm -hmm. climbing or any of those things can be great um, testing grounds for whatever you find later on. Yeah, good. Um, so one of the things I, I sent out a note to a bunch of parents, you know, that have athletes and just said, I thought it would be fun to, you know, throw a few questions at you from the parents point of view about because I think we all know D1 and we get it like we just watched the March Madness and the Final Four and the hype about D1. But I think there's a lot of diamonds in the rough. And obviously, NYU isn't a diamond academically, but understanding what athletically it means to play D3 and people don't really quite understand what the differences are. So could we start there with, and then we'll talk about, you know, what exactly you're looking for as you recruit? Yeah. I mean, I think there's been a better uh, change in terms of like openness to the different levels within division, uh, division one, two, and three. Um, There's, there's just pros and cons to everything. So I think, um, you know, division one, obviously it's more of like a job. It's you're, you're being recruited to play a sport, to help showcase the school. And, and that will trigger other things to happen for the university. So that's why there's a, there's a deal that's made in terms of you're there as a, as an athlete to help promote the school division three, it becomes more about that passion and then using volleyball as like a key to development and another way of, of gaining experience while within your four year Uh, journey as a college student but at the same time you're not necessarily sacrificing levels you know there's there's a misconception that like d1 is only where good volleyball is and d2 is kind of this in-between mix and then you know d3 it's all about just being a student and you're gonna get like a like a club version of playing a collegiate sport and you know every year as coaches we know that's not the case because we we play in spring scrimmages we play in preseason scrimmages um, and usually you're going interdivisional in those, in those opportunities. So like for us, uh, you know, we had one recently where we played two division one schools and, and, you know, we split with them in our two sets that we played. Um, I won't name, uh, the school, but it's a, an A10 school that's in the Bronx. Um, and, and they were second in their conference, uh, this past season and had a super historically positive season. So, and just again, for, for the listeners who may not know, you won your conference and you were 28 and two, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, we had yeah. a super successful season. I think we finished ranked 11th in the country. Yeah. Um, and, and again, we're not even the best. There's teams that are even, even stronger and even better than us. You know, we hope to be there one day, but at each of the divisions at the upper level in the top 25, it's really not much of a difference when it comes to who can play with who. 
So it, you, you, you factor other things when I think making those types of decisions. Um, for me, it's about showing the balance and you're going to have way more opportunity into outside things that maybe you can't do at a division in two in division one school. Um, so like for us, like study abroad, something that division one athletes most likely aren't getting to experience, which is a huge, huge selling point for us at our schools. Um, you know, for me, I think it's just a formative experience being able to go to a different country and be fully immersed in their culture. Um, is going to open you up to just a, a whole nother uh, way of, of processing life. Like, I think sometimes we get bubbleized being, you know, Americans living in the U.S. So what I percentage see, of your players do 100 percent, 100 percent. Yeah. For a um, semester or a year for a full years? semester, full semester. We're, we're a little different. Most schools do it junior spring. Um, which is great because, you know, you're, you're going into your, your last year, um, of school after you come back from that abroad trip. Um, for us, we do it at the, uh, sophomore year. So spring of sophomore year, our players go abroad for those three months. For me, I really like the formula. I didn't realize it in the hindsight going into it, but for us, from a training perspective, my freshmen and my juniors are on campus. Uh, so my juniors that are going to be future captains uh, next year get to really work on their leadership skills by working with our current freshmen, mm -hmm. whereas our sophomores are away really developing as individuals in terms of, I think, their overall growth. Um, and then also it's at the halfway point. So now they come back uh, this summer with like a really energized approach to how they want to kick off their second half of four years. And they've had um, and a break. It, yeah, right. They've and, and they had a break from volleyball, yeah. which is also important. You know, again, doesn't lead to burnout because of it. And then junior spring for them, they get an extra opportunity to intern while also being um, here in Manhattan. So it's like for us, it's like you're giving like a puzzle where college could be a thousand pieces. All of a sudden we give you like a, a 50 piece puzzle. It's just way easier to make everything slide into their appropriate spots and, and get the most out of it. So again, it's just, Balance and opportunity is is our niche for Division Three, um, but not sacrificing necessarily the overall level of play. And, and again, no no division, in my opinion, being a, a former Division One coach, is bad or or better. I think they're just all different in terms of what they offer and, and what their their four years look like. So it comes down to to you as an individual, you know, weighing the pros and cons of each. And and because you're D three, so no D threes have academic money or athletic money uh, athletic money mm -hmm. yeah correct do so get, I, do they get academic money or merit money or is that yeah, possible ev okay. every school has um has access to it i mean some schools there are better financial aid packages and different uh non-athletic but still equal merit um so again i think conversations with those coaches and doing your research is super important um, we're definitely like a larger, larger division three. I would say most division threes are like two to 4,000 students. We're 25,000 in undergrad with another 25,000 in grad school. So we're a very large university. So merit becomes a lot more challenging because now you're not being, you know, up against a couple hundred people. Now you're up against a couple thousand people when it comes to comparing academics. And again, athletics can't have any say in it as a division three institution. So merit is available. I would just say it's, it's more challenging at a school like ours because of our volume. There's just more, more students that are also going after those opportunities. 
And then on the plus side for athletes, you, because you're not hindered by numbers of scholarships, you actually carry a larger roster, right? So could you talk about how many you carry and why you carry that many and how that works? Yeah, so um, definitely. We, this year was our, our largest roster we've had. Um, I would say our conference is somewhere between the 20 and 25 range, whereas Division One, you only have 12 scholarships. So they're usually keeping their numbers a little bit lower. You know, you'll have 12 that are on athletic aid. You know, you'll have maybe five more that are non-scholarship, but maybe they're receiving some form of merit or just paying to go to that school. Um, for us, you, you know, there's, again, land of opportunity. We want all of our players to be here for four years, but it's not uncommon that a really good research grant or opportunity becomes available. The dream job with a dream internship becomes available and you have to make a difficult decision. But again, it's about facilitating those opportunities. So we have a little bit larger rosters to help manage those unpredicted life opportunities. Um, and also just being in season and balancing, you know, it's not uncommon to have, you know, once a week where you have to either uh, not go to practice because you have like a lab or an event that's happening on campus for your major that you want to take advantage of. So it allows us to navigate, making sure we still have enough players to be training. We're getting, you know, six on six opportunities. Um, so that's usually, I would say, as to why we have a couple more um, players on our rosters. Also, just academically, you know, we're not being able to guarantee admissions. You have to go through the admissions process for a Division three school. So, um, you know, you might also be recruiting a couple more players here and there because of the bubble of of having to apply first to get in. Um, Do you have any every, influence on admissions or none? They are on their we, own? Or? We all, I mean, every Division three will have a formula in terms of what the support looks like. I would say ours is more than a wave. We're able to do like waving to admissions on their behalf. Um, <laughs> we, we have the ability to do like academic pre-reads, which I think are really important, especially when you're getting into your junior year of the recruiting process, um, especially finishing your junior year, seeing if there's opportunities to have a pre-read done. Um, so we have a pretty strong indication as to how an application would trend Again, it's not a guarantee, but we know that if somebody is non-qualifier bubble line or a strong candidate before they're putting in an application. So that way they're able to navigate their decision to apply based off of that feedback. Um, Do you have a GPA minimum or is it the answer it depends? Or I would say it's not GPA. I, I focus more on rigor when talking to recruits, like show that you're challenging yourself based off of what your school has, you know, mm -hmm. like... If you only have 10 APs and you're only able to take three, that's not a bad thing. Like you're, you're, you're having a good ratio based on what your school is able to provide. If you have a ton and you're able to take them from earlier on and you only took two, then maybe that's not the most rigorous schedule. So GPA is, is more, in my opinion, out the window. And it's more about just being able to showcase rigor based off of what your school has in, in programming and classes available. Um, because you can see like super overinflated ones. Sometimes the GPA is a little bit lower because they're going for that rigor. So mm. I don't think that's a, that's a deal breaker anymore by any means. Um, and I would say most of us are now in a test flexible or test optional landscape. Um, okay. Even if you're navigating schools that are test optional, I, it doesn't hurt to do it. I, you know, it's only going to give you more evidence based on the type of student you are. 
and you can super score. So I would, I would never say don't do it. Um, you know, you, it will only help you. It won't hurt you if you okay. choose to submit a, a test score with an application. Okay. But that's good to yeah. hear because now you see so many that are saying, don't worry about it. And that's good to know. Like why, why not take it, make sure, you know, if you have a good score, then submit it. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is coming from someone who's dyslexic, like test taking was like <laughs> my kryptonite. And it was never, <laughs> never a strength of mine. Um, but I would, if I could go back, I would say like, I only took it once and I did it late. I should have done earlier on giving yourself more opportunities to kind of get used to the structure of the test and, and knowing that you can better it every time you, you take it. Okay. Yeah. My daughter's a sophomore and they're doing PSAT and the, you know, mm-hmm. PACT. And we were just discussing that. Like, that's a great, why not just get, you know, see which one you're better at and, and then do a you do a few rounds, right. To get the score up. Yeah, we never see how you got to your score. We just see what your top scores are when it comes to super scoring, where you combine like your best math and your best reading. So, yeah, I mean, it's there's a formula there probably. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's no disadvantage from taking it, you know, multiple times and trying to get a super score. Fabulous. All right, well, let's shift to the the volleyball, the skills. Where where are you finding the best athletes? Are you running camps? Is it, you know, one of the parents asked, you know, what if your daughter isn't on a top team? Are you only looking at the top teams? Or how, what is your formula for recruiting? Or do you have a formula? Is it more what who's reaching out to you? Um, you know, maybe can you talk about that a bit? Yeah, so I would say, first off, um, our influx of information coming in is extremely high. And I think, uh, you know, coaches can probably invest just into that area and have a really good team based off of initial contacts coming from the recruit. Um, For us, we want to have a formula that's doing both where we're making the first contact, but also we're um, able to go through our, our, um, our inboxes and, and find the talent that already have interest in our school. Um, I would say our first year here, we we stayed fully within first contacts coming in. And now we're on year four of recruiting that we're starting to have a higher percentage in first contact going out from our perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but to give you an idea, like our my current email inbox, it's really embarrassing to say, but <laughs> I am at, uh, as of this afternoon, 893 unread emails. So it's a battle that like I can never win. I'll never be able to get that back to zero. So when coaches don't respond right away, I'm like always encouraging recruits, don't take nothing as a as an answer. You have to just stay reaching out because you never know when that email that you're writing can come across at a, at a right moment that could get you uh, engaged with that program. So is there a lot thing of- is too much like? How I, I mean, I mean, like, who's going to ever say too much is bad? Like this person, uh, like, no, like, I think at the, at, 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 if anything, you'll just get an answer that will help you then pivot. Right. So if it becomes too much and the coach just says, we don't have a spot for you and please stop emailing us. Okay. Well, now, you know, you're not investing your time in an area that's going to lead to something. So I, I honestly don't think there's too much. And if a coach really likes you, in terms of what you could bring and, and it is too much, they'll probably just tell you like, Hey, you don't have to check in so much. And then you can adjust there. But I think the opposite is more detrimental when you just assume that they're not interested because they haven't responded to you could mean a, multiple factors. A, it could be like me where I'm just overwhelmed with, with uh, information coming in. It could be division one and two have like quiet periods where they're just not allowed to write back to you or you're not old enough for them to write back to you. 
So I, I don't be discouraged because you haven't heard something, you know, and don't, don't be afraid to ask the difficult challenges of like, where do you see me? So that way you can just get the most out of your investment of your time in the different areas that you're pursuing. Um, do you have a anecdotal yeah. story of somebody that that comes to mind when you think of somebody who really just stuck with it and that impression? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, our one of our freshmen currently on our team, Dami Dress, played for T Street. Um, she knew from like age six, six that she wanted to go to NYU, <laughs> and uh, she would like always give us updates. And her family's super awesome. Her parents are really great, and um you can just see there's there's so much love and support in that family and passion and uh like i i think her dad came up to my assistant a couple times on the road at some tournaments and it's like if this is your dream like there's no right or wrong way of going about it and it just showed that you know like perseverance you know ended ended up being a, a great thing for her um and it just always kept her name on the top of our of our minds and I think it allowed us also to see more of the intangibles that she could bring to the table. And that's what really, you know, pushed our decision to to make an offer to her. And then the other opposite of it is like, make sure you always respond to coaches that reach out to you, even if you don't have interest in them. Um, <laughs> Cause again, it's the same thing. Like you don't want someone to waste your time in terms of what you're putting in. And, you know, a coach could really just be excited and not want to give up because they haven't heard no. So I have a player that she's graduating this spring and when I was at Union, I emailed her all the time, like once every two or, you know, once a month, uh, you know, checking in and seeing how she was doing and like never really got a response. And then I got the job at NYU and she was a committed incoming freshman. So I got to be her coach. Uh, and we, we make fun of this story all the time. And, yeah. and Gretchen actually played for a club that I, that I coached at back when I was in New Jersey. So she, she always will like bring up that, that story at like one of our camps and be like, you know, it's hard to balance all the emails and, and think of like, you only want to be in contact with the schools that you're interested in. But at the same time, you should always respond to emails and just say thank you for your interest. And, you know, at this time, I, I don't, you know, see it being a good fit. But if anything changes, I'll let you know, because you never I, know at I, the end of the day who, be, who becomes your coach for four years. And I love that story, because that's exactly what you also don't know who they're sitting next to. And that the, the dream school might be sitting next to this guy and say, Oh, I just tried recruiting her. She didn't even respond or she was rude or mm -hmm. then, Oh, great. Well then I can cross her off my list, but Oh my gosh, we had a great interaction. I'm just not the right fit, but you should look at her. Right. I'm guessing oh, that, that happens all happens, the time. Right. Yeah. All the time. It's, it's, it's crazy how small our volleyball yeah. community is in our world is. And, at the end of the day, like I'm a division three coach and I just want to see everybody find a good fit they can be successful in. So it happens both within our conference, even though we're so competitive and we all want to, you know, compete against each other and, and ultimately win, we still care about all the students. So like I've had libero that, um, you know, we were a top school for her and she ended up going to Chicago, uh, had great conversations with their coaching staff. And, you know, she's a great, great player for them and a great, great fit. You know, it just wasn't, you know, the best fit from our perspective. And it doesn't mean she's still not a super smart kid, a super successful volleyball player. It's just, that just shows you like how interconnected our community is. So I, I remember having, I've had multiple conversations and, and have had coaches reach out to me and I've reached out to them. Um, we even had a, a player that um, was bubble line for us, this, this academic go around. And unfortunately she didn't get in. And immediately it's like you go to your network and seeing where those next 
opportunities can be. And, and she just committed to, um, to play at, a, at Amherst, which or not Amherst, um, Emerson, Emerson in Boston. And I know that that's going to be a great opportunity for her now. And you never know what's going to happen in the future too. So again, you know, you don't want to burn bridges because you never know how these interactions can come back into play later on in, in life. And there's that whole transfer portal thing too, right? So you never who know. Who knows? How, yeah, who knows where people might end up or where you may want to end up, right? If for grad school or for whatever. You just said you have a grad transfer coming in, right? Who would do yeah. one grad transfer? Like, you know, that's another possibility, right? In four years, you might be a completely different player than you are now. And maybe NYU wants to have you, you know, while you do grad school. Like, what an amazing opportunity. You have still some eligibility left, right? Those things happen. Happen all the time. So one other thing you said in passing as you were talking about the T Street recruit was you said she had some intangibles that we really liked. Can you touch on that? Like what? So what are those intangibles? So we, you know, I'm, I'm guessing you don't only recruit the top teams, but you're walking around a convention center or you have a camp or whatever. What are you looking for that maybe doesn't come from a stat line? Yeah. So to go go back to that first question because I don't think I touched it touched on it. Um, top team versus oh, yes. you know regional it doesn't in my opinion it doesn't matter who you like where you play like we have enough technology now that we can find you we have university athlete which is like a free platform for all of the volleyball players it basically takes your USA volleyball information and puts it into a, a database so when you're on your club team whenever you're at a tournament and you see us walking around on our phones, we're all on university athlete. We pay for it as coaches to get the tournament schedule, the rosters and all of that for every tournament that you play in. So, um, so yeah, there, like there's no hiding in that, in that like perspective. So I recruited players from top teams. I recruited players from um, twos teams. I recruited players from more regional or not as recognizable you know, technology has just given us access into all those opportunities. So I always say when you're looking at a club team to be a part of, again, just being upfront with what it's going to provide for you and, and knowing what the pros and the cons are going to be. You know, if, if playing on a ones team and, and, and uh, starting time is going to be limited because of how good that team is, but you're going to get great coaching and great practice, I think that's a great fit. But if you're someone that wants to train and get better based off of live play and being a starter and this other twos team will give you that or another club that doesn't, you know, have as much name recognition is going to give you that, that's still a pro. And, you know, that could be what you're looking for. So it comes down to like, what are the things you want to get out of this, this club year experience and knowing what those pros and cons look like. I don't think any one of them is better or worse than the other. It just comes down to, is it going to give you what you want as a, as an individual and, and your family? Um, and then in terms of intangibles, again, because of our volume, we see so much talent that I need something that's going to separate, you know, players when I'm, when I'm looking at, you know, making comparisons. And I think for division three, the intangibles become even more important because of our limitation of how much time we get to spend with our student athletes. Um, it's, it's not as much of a commitment as a division one and division two school. So to give you an example, um, when division ones are in their spring season, they get 20 hours of practice a week. I get 15 total practices. Wow. Like, it's, it's, it's not even like a percentage. So you need players that are going to be, uh, like just engaged and good leaders and, and just want to be around each other 
having fun, you know, working hard, having open gyms, going to the weight room. So I look for those like those leadership and those motivators as difference makers for me. Um, you know, Dami, again, Dami is a great example of that. A lot of our freshmen, I think we've had more time because of COVID to really kind of focus in on those intangibles. And I would say each of them really have a good core value they bring outside of their ability to play volleyball. Um, Lindsay Hirano, who actually I, I had a video session with earlier today, is, a, is an SGLE kid. And I mean, she's everything you would want in terms of as a coach, being able to get to work with a student athlete for four years. Like these are once in a lifetime kids that come in and just like every day, no matter what we're doing, they're going to make the most out of it. And they're going to go hard for every play. They're going to ignite other people to want to play that style. They're going to, they're just going to elevate everything. Mm -hmm. So um, for me, if I can get the intangible right and maybe miss a little bit with the volleyball level, that's totally fine. But if I get the volleyball right and I miss with the intangible, that could have more of a disadvantage to, to my team and our program. So, so how think, do you recruit intangible? Is that by word of mouth? You're asking coaches? You're, how, it's, you're watching them? What are you yeah, doing? I think it's all those, all those things that you're listing. It's, okay. it's watching them in person at these tournaments and seeing how they're interacting with their teammates, their coaches. Um, I think one of my biggest strengths as a coach is uh, like judgment having to be able to evaluate judgment based off of conversations on the phone, conversations in person, visual observations. Um, you can tell a lot from somebody by, you know, how they communicate on the phone about their interests and in, in, in body language. Like I think I can see a lot outside of their technical ability as to how they're going to, how they're going to impact um, a program like ours. So all those little things add up. Um, I think, yes, having good relationships with club coaches that I've been able to expand my network over the years and club directors um, is really important. And, um, you know, I think that is an asset when you are looking at a top team. If you're not starting, but you're getting a really good recruiting coordinator and you're getting a really good club director, you're getting a really good coach, like you've already hit the trifecta um, that you know, we'll be able to get that information of like how hard you're practicing in gym that we might not be able to see in a game at a tournament. Maybe we get one set out of eight sets, but based on those conversations, we get to see it amplified when we do get that opportunity. Um, but yeah, I would say all those little things add up in terms of how we get to see those intangibles on display. Amazing. Um, so if I'm a really good student and I, but I don't get a ton of playing time because I'm on a really good team. What's the best way for me to get on your radar? I mean, like I'm on the court occasionally, but like, and again, I know now some of these better clubs, like they're so specified in the roles mm -hmm. that you may come watch her play, but she only's in for two rotations or three rotations. And because it's 15 on the roster, she only comes in every other game. I know I talk, hear from a lot of parents who are like, how could they even evaluate her talent? Yeah. So, I mean, be creative with what your opportunities are. Um, I think the more creative you can approach when you're establishing your like recruiting brand of what the, you know, what are the things you could bring to the table um, versus like being, you know, uh, putting roadblocks of based on, you know, how much time you're getting of actually playing. So ask your coach if you can record a practice, maybe you're scrimmaging another team within your club 
you know, coach, can I set up my phone on a tripod? Like, I doubt a coach would say no. Um, you know, maybe you're doing beach season for your high school. Maybe it's not the most competitive, but it can show you, you know, getting additional reps and showing versatility. Um, maybe you do, uh, like once a week or once every couple of weeks, you do a private with uh, a different volleyball organization or one of the other coaches at your, at your club. Again, being able to maybe show some reps in that regard. Um, but yeah, just being creative with it and, um, taking advantage of like going to camps and clinics now that they're kind of coming back. You know, if you have a top school, if you have a dream school, you know, do what you can to get in front of them where they have to see you play physically. Um, so, um, be, be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like be intentional when you're going to those types of opportunities. Like if I'm, uh, looking at D threes, but I want to go to like an Ivy league, camp but maybe like i already know i'm not the best qualifier is that investment in time going to be the most impactful or would adding an extra division three school where the coach has showed interest in me and academically i'm a better fit is that better you know or vice versa but i think not just going to a camp to go to a camp because it's you know like oh it's a cool thing i'm going to illinois or you know like nebraska's camp is that really doing anything in terms of your college uh, trajectory yeah you no, knowing your so level much yeah awesome. knowing your level yeah and knowing what they're looking for if you're not looking for setters for the class of 24 then don't go to their camp if you mm-hmm. know they say fine but i don't need a setter you know like that's a that's a miss right because it's going to be important to see like what that coach's style is how they interact with their players what their, what are the assistants like are the players happy like you'll get to see usually a bunch of players at these camps and get a more inside perspective like you want to try to get non-surface layer information like how do you get uh those deeper insights you know Mm -hmm. having conversations with players on the team looking at their roster and going on social media and seeing if you can follow somebody you know see what what their day-to-day is um again creative be creative find ways of getting insight into what behind the scenes looks like versus just a, a google search and a surface level appearance and like you said, it's such a small world. You probably either know somebody who knows somebody mm-hmm. on the roster or, right, who's played there. Or played for Someone them. from your club has played there. Yeah. A coach has played there. Yeah. Uh, like, I love, I love using, like, Sunshine as an example. Um, you know, with, with, with the owner, Carrie, her, her son played at NYU on our men's team. And I actually got to play with Chase back in the day in Brazil after, um, after I graduated. But I believe he was going into his, like, freshman year of college um so yeah i mean like there's always going to be a resource that you can tap into from a more like local perspective to kind of hear more about um what it maybe was like or or what they know of that program amazing there's so much good advice we went way over what i normally go but (laughs) every single thing was so good i'm like no 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 we're just keep rolling here but i want to respect your time you you have tons to do so i just want to end with one thing that we ask all of our um guests which is you know how would you finish this statement or this comment um great athletes i know do this um well first off always could be a part two let me know if that's if that's a future (laughs) thing you you know i love talking about volleyball i'm I'm so lucky and fortunate that i get to do this as a as a living and i'm just i love i love talking about my sport we're having you back don't worry about that oh yeah (laughs) and and uh what would i say would be my initial reaction to that uh don't take no 
like from anything, anything in life, like, 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 or, or don't take no information as no is what I was, what I'm trying to say. You know, I think a lot of the times we write off opportunities because we haven't heard or there's not been a connection back and forth. Like keep pushing towards the things you really want and keep going after it until that door fully closes. Um, I think if I just took things as a surface level and, and didn't either try to prove something or uh, just stay engaged with something, a lot of things in my life wouldn't have happened. And um, I think great athletes just go a little bit above and beyond and uh, don't take no information as, a, as an answer. So um, that would be my advice is go after something, even if it is, is a challenge and don't take lack of information as, as being a no. All great volleyball players, you know, do a little bit more and push, push the envelope a little bit more that usually ends up being uh, a great result or a goal for them. I love that because I, when I meet with teams and, and athletes, you know, we are, we humans are wired with a negativity bias. So mm-hmm. we assume the worst, even when we don't have the answer. So when we get no answer, we assume, well, they probably didn't want me. Well, he doesn't think I'm talented. Well, he doesn't have room on my roster, his roster. And we filled all that in without you, you know, maybe you didn't, you were the seven, 799th email that day <laughs> and he just didn't get to you. Right. So mm-hmm. I love that advice because the persistence, I like to say, show up when you show up, good things happen. And again, maybe NYU isn't the right fit for you, but he knows, you know, one of his colleagues is looking for someone exactly like you and you could be the connector for them. So fabulous. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Like, like I said, the, the last recruit story I had, we had somebody that we, that we wanted that got into a different school because our deadline had passed that player basically my first two years at NYU stopped us from being able to win. And I loved it for her. She absolutely crushed her four year opportunity across the river from us and was a, was like a second team all American. So again, there's a great fit for everybody out there. And at the end of the day, we just want to see kids in love with the game, playing the game and also getting a four year degree out of it. Wins and losses come and go but those lifetime memories are there to last. Well, I love your perspective because it feels so healthy. I think we're raising kids in this culture of it when at all costs, and that's the only thing that matters. And, and it's a factor, but it's not the factor. And it's not what ultimately the ball stops bouncing for us all. So what do we want them to get out of that? And I think D3 represents a lot of that, which is grit and resilience and, and fair play and leadership and growth that happens by you know, being able to do other things, you know, and grow in your volleyball skills, right? Definitely. Well, great. We're definitely having you back. I'm holding you to that. So (laughs) thank you so much for your time. Parents, if you've enjoyed this, please share this with other parents. So who are trying to, we're trying to raise better athletes and support our kids as they're figuring out their path. So thank you so much, Coach Brown, for your time today. This has been amazing. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely.